why is it so controversial to say okay no what's happening isn't okay and we need to stand with anyone that's being wronged or discriminated against there is a lot of stigma about bringing any sort of political discussion into any sort of academic or professional realm as a Palestinian your existence is already politicized. Welcome to Genotypecast, a new podcast from Gray Genetics. Genetics isn't always black and white. News stories related to genetics often raise more questions than they answer. On Genotypecast, we bring you insight from genetic counselors. I'm your host, Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, an independent telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. You can't say you're opposed to discrimination and racism but then have a lot of sub-qualifiers for when you actually take a stand. My full name is Heba Sayed Ahmed, which is a mouthful. Hiba is a Palestinian-American genetic counselor. She graduated from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences in 2020 and is currently working as a prenatal genetic counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina. She was gracious enough to come on the podcast to share her experiences as a Palestinian within the genetic counseling profession. On May 10th, another Palestinian genetic counselor retweeted a statement related to the Palestinians being forced out of their homes in Gaza and added, it's really hard to be a Palestinian genetic counselor. The silence today reminds me that I'll never truly belong in this field, a field where I'm too afraid to talk about Palestine, a field where if I do, I'm scared of the repercussions from doing so given that you're also Palestinian working in the genetic counseling field, I just wanted to get your perspective on everything that's going on and your experience as a genetic counselor and a Palestinian. Yeah. So I just wanted to comment on two things. One was just that what was happening in the recent headlines was Gaza was being bombarded, um, but in Jerusalem in a neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah, there was, um, an ongoing effort to displace Palestinians from their homes because um, Israel wants Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel, right? So they want it to be also Jewish demographic majority. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just wanted to clarify that. But I definitely felt very hesitant to comment on any sorts of tweets, even from my own Twitter, let alone... um, I wasn't even considering tweeting to GC chat just because I felt like there is a lot of stigma about bringing any sort of political discussion into any sort of academic or professional realm. Mm -hmm. And it's a struggle because as a Palestinian, your existence is already politicized um, just because of the ongoing Um, aggression against Palestinians. And so for me as a Palestinian living in the diaspora, that comes with a lot of feelings of, well, yes, I want to be successful, but I also don't want to forget about my people, you know, the stories that my dad told me about growing up in Palestine, my family that's still in Hebron. Um, So it's always feeling like you have to choose especially when you think about genetic counseling as being a really small profession and everyone knows everyone. So like I've ran into so many GCs on Twitter that were like, oh yeah, did I meet you at NSGC a couple of years ago? And I'm like, I think so. It's just like, you don't have that 
um, necessary buffer, I guess, to feel like, okay, well, if I say something in one person doesn't necessarily agree with my perspective, um, it's just one person whether with genetic counseling, because that one person is actually one of a really small, comparatively small profession, it just feels way more daunting. And then the question of having to take on this extra burden of justifying why it's so important to speak about Palestine is slightly dehumanizing in a lot of ways and can be triggering for a lot of Palestinians because for me as a Palestinian, I was watching the news, um, following all these social media accounts, seeing the things that were happening. And for me, I'm like, okay, well, when I see this, even if you took out um, the personal aspect of me being Palestinian and this being um, Palestinian children that are being bombed in Gaza, I would still say, okay, this is inhumane. This is not okay, regardless of any sort of political thing. And so um, it feels very discouraging that I didn't feel like GC Chat was a place that I could, you know, tweet my own thoughts about this. Has that changed at all since May 10th? I've seen, like, gradually seen um, a few more tweets by genetic counselors. Yeah, I think definitely um, since, I guess for me, when I saw t um, the other Palestinian genetic counselor and a couple of um, allies that emerged and said, okay, no, what's happening in Palestine isn't okay, why are we so silent? I felt that that was kind of like a beacon of <laughs> some sort of like hope, I guess, for me within the genetic counseling profession where it was like, okay, well, not everyone is silent. So if I wanted to speak um, and kind of share my experience or my thoughts on Palestine, maybe it wouldn't go over um, negatively. But even within some of these Twitter comments, there have been people that have commented in ways where they're not necessarily allies of the Palestinians and they want to shift the narrative as it so often is to make it sound more like it's a two-sided conflict. And so for me, it's like there's still going to be that line to walk because mm -hmm. I never want to be someone that's making someone else feel uncomfortable with um, my thoughts and opinions. But I also I do think that genetic counselors, we are advocates first and foremost and I think part of our advocacy and being able to say okay we treat all of our patients all of the populations that we serve with equality is being able to kind of put our money where our mouths are and say okay well this is something that I'm not um, personally affected by but I know that it can affect some of the people that I might be seeing in clinics or some of my colleagues. Yeah. Um, when those comments you referenced, do you feel um, of genetic counselors who aren't necessarily responding in a way that's clearly supportive or maybe negative? Do you feel like that's coming from like a pro-Israel point of view or, or just like a place of ignorance where people have seen a certain slant on the news or from how we grew up? Or um, I know you wrote a piece for NSGC Perspectives um, a while ago <laughs> when, when this wasn't like a big topic and just saying, you know, you say Pal Palestinian people are like, what, you know, where it doesn't, it doesn't have that same recognition. Whereas in the U S I think like the Jewish history and culture, everyone has some familiarity with. 
Yeah, I specific to some of the comments on Twitter, they were definitely uh, coming from a more pro-Israel stance. And so there's a lot more coordinated um, pushing of the Israeli neg- narrative. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't fault anyone um, for their personal views, but I also think that it's becoming more apparent that some of the propaganda that's out there might not really be accurate much, if at all. Um, And so when I think about the article that I wrote for Perspectives, um, it's still kind of that same sentiment where I feel like I'm conflicted because I want to be an advocate for Palestinians um, just because I do have that background and I am especially motivated to but I also feel like within the genetic counseling profession there's just so much groundwork that's missing as far as well the Arab population as a whole is underserved Um, and so for me it feels backwards to say okay let's zoom in on this very specific um, Arab population and so it feels like a daunting task for me to say okay first we're going to kind of set the foundation and establish uh, guidelines for how we should be interacting with Arab populations. And then we talk about Palestine when the situation in Palestine is ongoing and has been since the occupation began in 1948. So it feels like there is this question of time and how long is it okay to wait and why does it need to be so slow going and why is it so controversial to say okay no what's happening isn't okay and we need to stand with anyone that's being wronged or discriminated against i heard today a podcast and they had orthodox jewish person on there who said you know that it's like a a hesitancy to speak out is like being afraid of being labeled as anti-semitic um, and he mentioned too, you know, the responsibility of someone who is Jewish to <laughs> to speak out because like they they're less likely to be attacked in that way. Yeah, I think a lot of the issues with um, Palestinians feeling uncomfortable speaking out is just that there has been so much organized and concentrated efforts on targeting Palestinians, especially the ones um, who are students or in the realm of academia who come out and denounce Israel or come out as anti-Zionist. And um, there's a site that I mentioned to you, I think when we were talking about during this podcast, Canary Mission, where they will um, literally post pictures of these. um, Oftentimes they're university-aged individuals, typically Palestinian, but there have been... um, Jewish uh, advocates for Palestine who have also made it onto the site and it has actually ruined a lot of people's lives and careers because um, unfortunately what tends to happen the IHRA which is um, Uh, International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance Yes, so they have a definition of anti-Semitism that includes and extends to anyone that's criticizing the policies of Israel in any way that is not um, as you would criticize any other state. And they go as far as saying Israel is seen as a collective of Jewish people. So to speak out against Israel is inherently anti-Semitic. And so there is actually another definition that was published this year by a different organization um, where they actually said, okay, no, that 
definition in itself is problematic because what it does is it waters down what it means to be anti-Semitic. And so a lot of um, Jewish advocates came out and said, okay, it's not okay to say that criticizing Israel is inherently anti-Semitic because what tends to happen is if you have these sorts of discussions, people defend the IHRA definition and say, well, no, it says you can do it like you would criticize any other entity. And the problem is, well, other countries are not the ones that are bombing my family in Gaza. They're not the ones that are um, harassing my Muslim brothers and sisters at the mosque during Ramadan. So it's titled the Jerusalem Declaration on Anti-Semitism. And so this was kind of a guideline that was set to actually help more accurately distinguish what is actually anti-Semitic because they disagree. They don't feel like criticizing Israel or Zionism is anti-Semitism. When we were corresponding, you'd mentioned the idea of uh, medical apartheid. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so when you think about what an apartheid is, oftentimes you think about the discrimination faced daily. When you think about a medical apartheid, what comes to my mind is just um, the difficulty that Palestinians in Palestine are having getting vaccinated for COVID, um, which under international law, Israel is responsible for helping them get those vaccines, right? Um, And when you think about how there are already a lot of genetic health disparities in other populations that are underserved and understudied. Um, When you couple that with a country that is being occupied and you think about things that we already know as genetic counselors, such as um, consanguinity and endogamy that increase the risk for having children with genetic conditions, um, the idea that you can have a population where you don't have freedom of movement between different cities within the same area, right? So Palestinian Hebron can't easily travel to another city without having to go through a bunch of checkpoints. And so that does contribute to um, the increased chances of just marrying from within the same city. And so when you think about it, there's a lot of especially relevant details of the occupation that can kind of exacerbate already existing health disparities and how that applies to genetic population or genetic counseling uh, as a profession as well a lot of these countries are not considered stable politically so there's a lot of refugees that come from Palestine or other countries in the Middle East where they might one day end up in a country where they are referred to a genetic counselor and being able to kind of acknowledge that maybe Um, The Western stigma against consanguinity and endogamy in general um, is not going to be helpful in establishing rapport with these patients and being able to better build that relationship that is so central to having an effective genetic counseling session is just something that I think we should be more aware of. How long have you been a genetic counselor and where do you practice? Just to give a little bit of context to your experience as a genetic counselor. Yeah, so I graduated from UAMS in May 2020, so not that long ago. I've been working as a prenatal genetic counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, I don't necessarily have the most diverse patient population 
I do see the occasional Arab patient. I do see a lot of African-American and Hispanic patients as well. But majority is um, a lot of white patients. And so for me, it's especially important that in my free time, I'm on Twitter or I'm doing other ways to kind of advocate for serving those um, more diverse populations, just because I know that in my day job, I'm not necessarily able to, to the extent that I would want to. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's great um, what you're doing with the podcast and having these discussions kind of posted out there. And I think everything that is going on um, with NSGC's efforts to increase diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's all well-intentioned and very necessary. Um, so I'm trying to be optimistic, um, but I think it's a lot of work that has to be done. Um, and a lot of it, unfortunately, falls on the individual um, to kind of take up the mantle and push for those um, advocacy efforts. For genetic counselors who are listening, who maybe, you know, a month ago, Palestinian, Palestine wasn't on their mind at all, at all, and now they're, you know, maybe learning a little bit about about the issues um, and wanting to know what what they can do. What what do you think that genetic counselors can and sh- should be doing? So, big thing is to kind of become more educated on what is the reality in Palestine. Um, what the actual history is, because there's a lot of um, information that's out there that misrepresents what's happening. A lot of Western media tends to misreport things. So when we talk about the recent events, a lot of Western media did not start reporting until after rockets started coming from Gaza towards um, the Israeli territories. And... What we know as Palestinians is that Gaza only retaliated, the resistance only retaliated after um, the ongoing abuse at the Dome of the Rock, Masjid al-Aqsa, the mosque um, that Muslims pray in. This was during Ramadan, so it wasn't like a minor thing for the Israeli occupation forces to show up at this holy site and begin harassing um, the worshippers. But of course, Mm -hmm. all of the Western media articles um, only started reporting after these homemade rockets that majority of them were intercepted by the Iron Dome, which um, is why when you look at the casualties, there's such a big gap because it doesn't have an Iron Dome. It doesn't have bomb shelters. And there have been articles that came out recently where Um, the soldiers that were doing the bombing on Gaza were saying that they were targeting these civilian high-rise towers just as their way of venting their frustrations. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes even more transparent to say that all of this is happening in the name of self-defense. And when you ask the question of, okay, well, what constitutes self-defense? Can the aggressor be the victim is kind of the big question. And so if anyone wants any resources on where to begin as far as um, reading kind of the Palestinian narrative and kind of the more accurate telling of the recent events, I'm happy to recommend some. Yeah. And we can include those in the show notes for the podcast. So anyone listening to this can just 
I mean, you can mention some right now, but if you have like a long list <laughs> or if you want to mention a few, but we'll definitely include links to those. Um, yeah, I can recommend a few. Um, a really good one written by an Israeli historian, Ilan Pape, is 10 Myths About Israel. Um, he also wrote The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine. Um, and he has gotten so much pushback for the books that he's published and his stance coming out as um, an Israeli against the actions of the Israeli occupation. And then um, if you want a kind of concise history of the last 100 years, um, there's a book by Rashid Khalidi called The 100 Years, the 100 years War on Palestine. It's a good starting place. And then I can also send you kind of a couple more books as well to add to the notes. And I want to kind of reiterate that um, what's happening in Palestine is not a religious matter at all. Um, a lot of times it's been spun to make it seem that way, but Palestinians are religiously diverse. So they're, the majority is Muslim, but... Um, the region itself was very religiously diverse prior to 1948. You had Christians and Jews and Muslims all living together. And if you look at the modern populations now, um, you still have this diversity. The Palestinians are being discriminated against not on the basis of religion. It's just on the basis of not being Jewish. Um, and I think that's why there's this tendency to conflate speaking out against it as being anti-Semitic when... The issue was never with um, Judaism. It was with Zionism, which called for the establishment of a Jewish majority state in an area that was already being lived on and inhabited by the Palestinians. I just think that it's really important to come together whenever there's any sort of cause, not necessarily for Palestine, um, but also when we have things like Black Lives Matter or um, standing with LGBTQ individuals who are also facing a lot of discrimination um, against. I think what it all boils down to is you can't selectively advocate for things um, like justice. You can't say you're opposed to discrimination and racism, but then have a lot of sub qualifiers for when you actually take a stand and um, support um, anyone that might be facing these sorts of discrimination and racism. And so I think it's just something where, although I am Palestinian, I do support all these other causes as well, because I think um, it's all interconnected in a way. And I can't say that, okay, well, my equality or my rights as a Palestinian are more important to speak out about than other people's rights and their own identities. If you are a certified genetic counselor and would like to come on GenotypeCast to talk about an issue related to genetics in the news, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.